Chapter 22 Atmospheric Combustion Understanding What Is Schlepping You Down The Sefer Archis Tzadikim says, Human nature is that a person is influenced by his surroundings, and if they act a certain way, he'll end up doing it as well. Hashem had to reformat the hard drive of His precious nation. The Torah says we were slaves to Parai in Egypt, in Mitzrayim. Now when we think of what it means to be slaves in Egypt, we assume that our freedom and rights were taken away, and that we were forced to physically work for our Egyptian captors. Long hours, little pay, and no say. Because that's what slavery is. In fact, the encyclopedia describes slavery as the systematic exploitation of labor, a social economic system under which a person is compelled to work for another. Slaves are held against their will from the time of their capture, purchase, or birth and are deprived of the right to leave, to refuse to work, or to receive compensation in return for their labor, which means the slavery is normally just about getting the person to work for free. However, as you are about to find out, our enslavement in Egypt was something much more than that. The Nesiva Shalom says, Although our enslavement started out as just physical captivity, over the course of time, the Egyptian culture and thought process infiltrated our pure Yiddish mindset to the extent that we became psychologically trapped into thinking like our Egyptian captors. This means that as the years and decades passed, we lost all of our personal freedom of choice to do and even to think in any way that was not in accordance with the Egyptian lifestyle and culture. Just as an unborn child has no control over his own life and his existence is completely dictated by his mother, in the same exact way, the Egyptians turned us from slaves subjugated to the Egyptian people into Egyptian slaves. We lost our Jewish identity and our Jewish mindset, and we became completely mishubed, subjugated to Parai and Mitzrayim. This is an amazing accomplishment for a captor to attain, for the natural, inborn response of a slave in captivity is to despise his captor. The last person that you want to have anything to do with or think like is the person that is holding you captive. In fact, throughout our history, our blood-stained history, Klaal Yisrael suffered from many captors, tyrants, and dictators, and yet we never felt any closeness to them at all. And we certainly didn't let them control our mindset and thinking. On the contrary, we always looked at them and their culture with disgust and disdain. In fact, the more they physically controlled us and hurt us, the further we distanced ourselves from them emotionally, psychologically, and especially spiritually. And yet, when it came to Golis Mitzrayim, our Egyptian exile, by the time our redemption came around, we were almost completely bound 
to the all-powerful psychological influence of Pare and Mitzrayim. The Hebrew word that describes this full existential enslavement is the word Mishubid, which means an all-encompassing state of captivity that completely controls the slave physically, emotionally, and psychologically, thus incapacitating the slave's internal capacities of thought and decision-making. Let's learn from Stockholm Syndrome. In the Wikipedia, it explains that in psychology, Stockholm Syndrome is a term used to describe a paradoxical psychological phenomenon wherein hostages express adulation and have positive feelings towards their captors that appear irrational in light of the danger or risk endured by the victims. While uncommon, the FBI's hostage barricade database shows that roughly 27% of victims show evidence of Stockholm Syndrome. To properly illustrate the concept of psychological slavery, we present to you the following true stories. 1. Patty Hearst was kidnapped by the Symbionese Liberation Army. After two months in captivity, she actively took part in a robbery that they were orchestrating. Her unsuccessful legal defense suggested that she suffered from Stockholm Syndrome and was coerced into aiding the SLA. She was convicted and imprisoned for her actions in the robbery, though her sentence was commuted in February 1979 by President Jimmy Carter, and she received a presidential pardon from President Bill Clinton on January 20th, 2001. Number two, J.C. Lee Duggard was kidnapped and held captive for 18 years by Philip Garrido. When first interviewed by parole officers who were suspicious of her abductor, she did not reveal her identity. Instead, she told investigators that she was a battered wife from Minnesota who was hiding from her abusive husband and described Garrido as a great person who was good with her kids. Number three. In 2003, 11-year-old Sean Hornbeck was abducted by Michael Devlin. After four years in captivity, he was miraculously found in Kirkwood, St. Louis, only 50 short miles away from his home. What was so shocking about this abduction was that the kidnapper frequently left Sean free to move around on his own, and yet the boy never tried to escape. In fact, Kirkwood locals testified that they saw Sean biking around the area on his own and hanging out with friends that he made during his abduction. He looked so naturally content that they never even suspected that anything was wrong. Why didn't Sean use his apparent freedom to escape or at least contact authorities or his parents? The explanation is, his captor, Michael Devlin, somehow managed to penetrate Sean's own mind and influenced him into keeping himself in captivity. Once Stockholm Syndrome or slave mentality takes over a person's mindset, the person is no longer the same free-thinking person as before he was captured, with the exception of being physically trapped. Rather now, his own mind has become manipulated to the degree that he has lost his own identity and control over who he really is. And that is why such people don't even try to escape. And now let's apply this to Gullus Mitzrayim. The Pirkei de Rebeliezer says, Parei and his nation were spiritually contaminated, and they defiled the holy nation of Klal Yisrael as well. 
So now we finally can understand that the main challenge of the Egyptian exile was not, as we once assumed, the physical part of the oppression. Rather, it was the transformation of our own mindset causing us to become completely mishubed, mitzrafried, without any independence, even within our own mindset and thought process. And these are the words of the Nesiva Shalom. Etzem hamatzios, shehoyum shubadim legamri l'ruach hamokayim ashafel b'yoyse ba'olam, hi mitzrayim ervas ha'aretz, hafcha oysa memela li'yoyis mishukoyim b'mem tesharituma. This, this is the sad truth about what really happened to us in Mitzrayim. Somehow, we became completely mishubed, enslaved, mitzrafried to the decadent Ruach HaMakayim, the atmosphere of Egypt, which at that time in history was Ervas Haaretz, the immorality capital of the world. Let's bring an example to prove the point. Brainwashed. Imagine that a sweet, pure, innocent boy is abducted, Rahman al-Itzlan, and locked up in a room surrounded by huge television screens for five years. After you physically release this poor child, he will certainly be mentally affected by what he saw and heard all those years. In fact, it is safe to say that his entire outlook on life will be substantially altered. Although the Egyptians did not create evil decrees to prevent us from learning Torah and performing mitzvot, it was the intense cultural atmospheric pressure that systematically influenced us and shoved us down the slippery slope towards the lowest levels of impurity. Over the course of 210 years, the Egyptian lifestyle and culture affected and infected our own identity thereby causing us to fall to the lowest levels of spiritual impurity, the 49th level of Tumah. Our values, morals, ethics, priorities, attitude, and outlook on life deteriorated from the pure derhoiben, uplifted Yiddish perspective that we once had, and the despicable, immorally decadent Egyptian culture reprogrammed what we knew to be true and false, right and wrong, good and bad, beautiful and ugly, edel and grub. Think about this. 49 out of 50 is 98%. So if we fell to the 49th level of Tumah out of 50 levels, that means that 98% of our mindset had already been taken over by spiritual filth and contamination, thereby leaving us with only a tiny 2% of our original pure Yiddish mindset. Because in Mitzrayim, we were in the Memteshari Tumah, and if we would have stayed even a little bit longer, we would have fallen into the 50th level and we would never have been able to be redeemed. Just as when a person is 100% brain dead, the brain cells can no longer regrow, the same concept applies to spiritual mindset. And therefore, as long as we had even just 2% of our Yiddish mindset intact, we would be able to once again grow, regenerate, and rejuvenate. However, if we would have reached total brain dead level, the 50th level of Tumah, and our minds would have become 100% mitzrafried, and we would have had no possibility of ever redeeming ourselves because we would have been fried forever. The Nesiva Shalom says, V'lachain gam nikra mitzrayim beis avadim 
Makoim, Shehafchu Bayanashim, Le'avadim. Now we can understand why Mitzrayim is constantly referred to as Beis Avadim, the house of servitude, for this is the suitable descriptive title of what Mitzrayim really was. The land of Egypt was not just a country where they happened to have slaves. Rather, it was an efficiently run manufacturing plant that specialized in successfully transforming free-thinking humans into psychologically trapped zombies with no mind of their own. Just as someone who manufactures glass is called the house of glass, someone who makes shoes, it can be called the house of shoes, the house title means this is the place where we create and manufacture the item, Base Avadim is because that is what Mitzrayim was. It was the house of slaves. You walk in free and you leave trapped forever. The Nesiva Emma says, such a beautiful pshat, that perhaps this is why Chazal say that no one ever escaped from Mitzrayim. This was not because of their superior security forces and electric barbed wire fences that physically trapped their slaves. We know that even in Nazi Germany, when they had these electrical barbed wire fences, it's not foolproof. How could you control that not even one person should ever escape? It's because they were not just using physical security. It was due to their amazing success in converting their captives' minds into total subjugation to the point that no one ever even thought about trying to escape. Isn't that exactly the thought process of every addict? The addiction is in full control when the addict is not even trying to fight anymore. The Nesiv Shalom explains that when the Torah says that Hashem tells us, I have seen the lachatz, the pressure with which the Egyptians have been pressuring you. Let's think for a minute. What pressure is Hashem referring to? Is it merely the pressure to physically show up on time to work and work really hard? No vacation days? But you already understand that the pressure mentioned here is referring to the intense psychological pressure of the enslavement that did not merely take away our freedom of action and freedom of speech. Rather, it stripped us of our entire identity as we became Mishubid Legamri, completely swallowed up and entrapped within the Egyptian culture and way of thinking. What it really took away was our freedom of thought. Let's bring an example to prove the point. Imagine if we could invent a spiritual brain scan. We would set it up so the Yiddish brain cells would light up in white and the Gaiyish brain cells would light up in red. And now let's say our fellow Yid named Shmuel would be kidnapped by a guy. It would be certainly possible for Shmuel to become physically enslaved by the Gentile and lose his physical freedom, and yet his brain would be able to remain completely white. However, if the Gentile would befriend Shmuel, watching television and movies with him, sharing his books and magazines with him and having discussions... Over time, the Gaisha influence would start to seep in, and we would slowly begin to see small blotches of red lighting up on Shmuel's spiritual brain scan. At first, it would just be a little blotch here and a little blotch there 
on the outskirts of the brain, but after some time, we would find that the infected red area spread out and then even took over some small sections of the brain. Over time, we would witness Shmuel's spiritual deterioration and see that the red overcomes more and more of the brain, eliminating any trace of white. And now I want you to imagine if 98% of his brain changed to a deep, deep red and there is only 2% of his entire brain that still lights up white, now you could understand what our situation was like in Mitzrayim. The Torah tells us, Hashem rushed us out quickly out of Mitzrayim. What was the rush? Now we could finally understand the incredible danger that we were in at that point when Hashem swooped down to rescue us from the claws of the Egyptian enslavement and why Hashem had to get us out of there quickly after just 210 years of slavery. We couldn't last even one more day because the onslaught of the psychological Egyptian enslavement had already pushed us to the brink of extinction. For once, the pure Yiddish brain was completely mitzvah-fried. The person was just a shell, and there was nothing left worth redeeming. Let's bring an example to prove the point. Fried Brains John was the 22-year-old son of a wealthy business tycoon from Hawaii. He was the oldest child, and he had the brains, the skills, and charisma to potentially take over his father's empire. At 18 years old, he moved to New York to start college, and he fell in with the wrong crowd. He began using addictive substances, and his life spiraled completely out of control. He was once a bright young lad with a bright future ahead of him, but a few months of substance abuse ate away at his brain cells, and now he was hardly able to think straight. Eventually, John checked into a top-notch rehabilitation center, and after one full year of intense rehab and therapy, his brain cells seemed to somewhat repair themselves. His wealthy family was convinced that it was now safe to bring him back home, and they hoped he would get back on track. But just before they came for him, he fell again, and this time he fell harder, and eventually the substance abuse caused irreparable damage to his brain cells. After that point, even if his family would come to rescue him from his horrific lifestyle and bring him to a beautiful new life with every opportunity in the world, it would be too late for him. Why? Because his brain cells were permanently damaged, fried, and there was no longer the potential for him to ever recover and lead a normal life. In Neuropathologically and Applied Neurobiology in June 2005, it says, studies show that drug abuse can lead to a buildup of proteins that cause severe nerve cell damage and death in essential parts of the brain. Recalculating Slavery Time Based on the above, we understand that Hashem had to rush us out of Egypt after just 210 years because otherwise there would have been no one left to rescue. We would have been spiritually brain dead. However, how could Hashem justify this early release in accordance with His original decree that we were to be enslaved for 400 years? 
The answer might be, had our servitude been only physical day labor, then we would have had to be there for 400 years as scheduled. However, since the Egyptian slavery spread to an all-encompassing emotional and psychological lachatz pressure, which was constantly upon us day and night, Hashem counted the nights as well. However, this presents a mathematical question. If we count the psychological shibud as well as the daily physical labor, then why did we end up being freed only after 210 years and not after 200 years? In other words, we were supposed to be slaves for 400 years. That's day labor. We are now counting nights. Supposedly, that's double. So we should have gotten out in half the time, which is 200 years, not 210. Well, maybe we can answer. When we left Mitzrayim, we numbered 603,550. The Levium numbered 22,273. This is approximately 3% of Klal Yisrael who were not part of the physical Shibun Mitzrayim. However, they still suffered psychological pressure from watching their brothers and sisters deteriorating right before their very eyes. So for the rest of us, even though on the physical level we were completely enslaved, psychologically speaking, we were on the 49th Sharatoma, which as we explained means that 98% of our brains were mitzrafried. This means that we still had control over the 2% of our Yiddish mindset that was not yet mentally enslaved. So, the Leviim, who formed 3% of Klal Yisrael were enslaved psychologically but not physically because Levium did not have physical labor. And the 2% of the rest of us in Klal Yisrael were not psychologically enslaved, only physically enslaved and psychologically 98% enslaved. Together, you have 5% of Klal Yisrael, whom the Mitzrayim did not yet manage to enslave. Doubling our enslavement from just physical to both physical and psychological would have entitled us to be redeemed in exactly 50% of the original decreed time. 400 years divided by 2 would be 200 years. However, the Shebud was not exactly twice as hard since 5% of us were not Meshubud in different ways to the Mitzrayim. And so 400 divided by 45% comes out exactly to the 190 years that were deducted from the original decree. And that's why Hashem took us out at exactly 210 years of enslavement. And this is what the Nesiva Shalom says, This is what it really means when it says, Had Hashem not taken us out at that moment, we would have been enslaved forever. For if we had lost that tiny remaining 2% of our Yiddish holy, spiritually pure mindset and become completely mitzvah-fried, then even if Hashem would have set us free physically at the end of 400 years of Mitzrayim, we would have remained psychologically and spiritually mishubed, bound to the spiritual decadence of the Egyptian mindset forever. And now we can see how all of the original questions from the last chapter are answered.
a mighty hand. This is why the Torah says that the redemption was with great strength and a mighty hand. This is not referring to Hashem's difficulty, so to speak, with the Egyptian captors. Nah, that was a cinch. The real problem was with us. 80% of our brothers and sisters were already completely checked out, mitzrafried completely, to the extent that they did not even want to leave Mitzrayim. And even from the remaining 20% who did agree to leave, 98% of their brains were unfortunately already mitzrafried to the point that they weren't even eager to leave. Since we had sunk to such a low level and we didn't even really want to get out of that sick, disgusting place, the simple physical rescue mission turned out to be much more like a full-blown extraction from the psychological grip of the Egyptians and that required great strength and a mighty hand. Let's bring an example to prove the point. After the three-hour surgery, the dentist came out and told the worried mother that although the surgery was extremely complicated, everything was now all right. The mother couldn't understand why simply pulling a tooth should be such a long and difficult process. What took the dentist three hours to do? The surgeon explained that when he started to pull the tooth, he found that its roots were deeply intertwined with the roots of the surrounding teeth. And therefore, the simple pull turned into a full-blown extraction. It certainly would not have been difficult for Hashem to rescue a worthy nation anxiously awaiting rescue. However, we had become so deeply rooted in the corrupt mentality of the Egyptians that their immoral mindset had thoroughly taken control of our minds and twisted itself deep into the roots of our psyche. They changed who we were. And this is the difference between the exile of Mitzrayim and all other exiles of our nation. Every other exile can be described by saying that the Goyim were physically stronger than we were and they abused their power and their might to make our lives miserable. But we were never ever mishubed psychologically bound to them. On the contrary, our mindset and emotions were completely independent and we despised them and their culture and we soared close to Hashem in the darkest of times. But in Mitzrayim, things were different. In Mitzrayim, we were a nation swallowed up inside another nation and the influence of the cultural atmosphere took control over what is most important to us our pure Yiddish thought process, and they sank our Jewish battleship. And now we could understand what we say every night in Tefilas Marev. Hashem brought out His nation Yisrael from within their midst to everlasting freedom. Seemingly, the word mitoicham, from their midst, is extra. For could it not have just said, and Hashem brought out His nation Yisrael to everlasting freedom. What does the word mitoicham mean? In the Ar explains beautifully. 
והכוונה מילס מתוכם מוירה באצבע שעיקר הגאולה תוילה בזה שהוציא עמו ישראל מתוכיוסם של המצרים. The answer is that not only is this word not extra, but on the contrary, it is the most important word in the whole Pasuk. For it is this specific word that fully, properly describes our redemption from Egypt. For Hashem truly extracted His beloved nation, literally, from within, from within the Egyptians. He reached into their belly and ripped out the insides, the innards. We were trapped inside of them. Not only did Hashem extract us out of Mitzrayim, but he also had to extract the Egyptian influence out of our mindset. And now we could understand why Hashem himself had to rescue us and he could not send a malach. The Nesiva Shalom says, The malach yisaref yicholim laitziyah mimitzrayim rak papayl. An angel could only physically take us out. Angels could only move things around in this world physically. So yes, if you needed a physical transport, you call your local angel. Do, 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 do. Hey, listen, we have a pickup in Mitzrayim. We need it delivered to wherever. No problem. It's like Uber. You call them, they come, you jump in, you go in. Of course an angel can transport a human. No problem. Ach, mikivan, shegam ha-nefesh, ruach ha-neshama, mishubadam hayu legamri leklipas Mitzrayim, lehayu biyad shomalach v'saref ha-shliach lo-hitziyam. But the problem here was it wasn't just physical. We could have taken our physical bodies out, but what about our mindset? What needed to be redeemed was our ruach, our nefesh, our neshama that was trapped and mishubad legamri completely to Mitzrayim. And no angel can do that. Only God alone has the power and the ability to untangle us and extract our minds, our ruach, our neshama from being trapped by the Mitzrayim. And now it's gewaldig. What would have happened if Hashem would not have redeemed us Himself, since we required not just a physical redemption, but especially a psychological redemption, which, as stated, can only be done by Hashem Himself. Therefore, we are saying, had Hashem not been the one to take us out himself, and instead he would have sent, dispatched an angel or a messenger to rescue us from slavery, then even though we would have Taka been physically free, but our mindset, we would have still remained internally mitzrefried and psychologically mishubed to Pare and Mitzrayim forever. And this point is clearly seen in the episode of Light. We find that Hashem dispatched angels to physically yank Light out of Sedaim and airlift him to a safe location. However, even after taking Light out of Sedaim, the immoral ways of Sedaim were not removed from within Light's corrupt mindset. Yes, an angel could certainly take Light out of Sedaim, but only Hashem can take Sedaim out of Light. When a person develops a dependency on anything at all, aside from the actual dependency and desire for that obsession, 
the person's mindset also becomes increasingly affected as he goes through many psychological changes, drifting far away from his original normal thinking mind. That's why people who are addicts, they come to such different conclusions because they think differently than normal people. Merely stopping the action does not automatically correct and straighten out all of those twisted mindsets that resulted from years and years of abuse, even when they finally, finally stop the obsession. But they're still thinking, twisted. Just as when you need to reformat a computer hard drive in order to completely remove viruses that corrupted and crippled the operating system, so too exactly in the same way, the Yad Hashem, the hand of God, was necessary to liberate and reformat our mindset, thus returning it to its previous state of Yiddish purity. And now we can truly understand why we use a dual description whenever we thank Hashem for taking us out of Mitzrayim. Did you ever notice this? In benching we say, Two separate things. We thank Hashem for taking us out from Mitzrayim, ufti sanu, and redeeming us, mi avadim. And I think pshat is, because we are saying thank you Hashem for both parts. Al shahoytze sanu, physically that you took us out of Mitzrayim, and also, ufti sanu mi beis avadim. Mi beis avadim, we explained before, is referring to the psychological part, that Mitzrayim was called house of slaves, because they turned you into a slave mentality. And that's why no one ever escaped Mitzrayim. So we thank Hashem. Thank you. You yanked us out physically. But ufti sanu mi beis avadim. You also redeemed us from that powerful house of slaves. You set us free psychologically. You reformatted our hard drive in our purification process. So that way we could once again think and feel like a Jew is supposed to. And now, dear friends... We have answered all of the questions in the previous chapter. What I'm going to do now is I'm going to list all of those questions and let's see if you can answer them. Question number one that we asked was, If there were no laws that were forcing us to become bad and to abandon our Yiddishkeit, so then what exactly pushed us down to abandon our beautiful and fulfilling lifestyle and spiral down to such a low spiritual level? Question number two. Why do we care? What was so important that Hashem had to come Himself and extract us from Mitzrayim? Why couldn't Hashem have sent a shliach or a malach? Question number three. It says, Ki yad Hashem Why did Hashem need to use His special chayzik yad, His mighty hand? Why couldn't He just use His regular hand, which is pretty powerful? Question number four. Chazal tell us, That the Yidden did not want to leave Mitzrayim. Come on, how is it possible that a whopping 80% of Klal Yisrael preferred to stay enslaved in Mitzrayim and even the 20% that did choose to leave were not excited to leave. How can that be? Question number five. Chazal tell us that even when they finally did scream to Hashem, 
They didn't scream to Hashem, Hashem, save us from Mitzrayim, take us out of slavery. They just screamed, Hashem, save us from the difficult work. Why? Why didn't we scream and beg Hashem to rescue us and bring us to Eretz Yisrael as He promised Avram Avinu? Similarly, in our Gullus, we always cry out when we're in pain. Why aren't we crying out? Rescue us from Gullus. Take us to Eretz Yisrael. Bring Mashiach. Question number six. The Torah tells us that Hashem did not want to pass by Egypt because After we got out of Mitzrayim, why did Hashem have to worry, so to speak, about us ever thinking about returning to that horrific nightmare? Who in their right mind would want to go back to Mitzrayim? Question number seven. We say in the Haggadah of Pesach, Had Hashem not taken us out of Mitzrayim, Hari anu v'neinu v'neinu Us, our children, our great-grandchildren, all the dairists that come out of us, would have all been stuck to be enslaved to Pari Mitzrayim. That's not true. How can we say that? If Hashem would not have rescued us? Didn't Hashem specifically promise Avraham Avinu that after 400 years of exile, the Yidin would be freed? Well, those are the seven questions, and I'm sure you did a great job. And now in the next chapter, we're going to see how all of this information pertains to each and every one of us. And you'll go higher.